Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading 2 Timothy 3, 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have heard and learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, apart from you, we can do nothing. We pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things from your law. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I uh, wanted to touch base on two things before I get into the the meat of uh, what I think God is calling us to get into today. I know that uh, some of you all are probably in mourning with me that both our Texas teams lost yesterday. So uh, I was so excited about A&M playing Alabama. didn't work out. The worst team money can buy. <laughs> okay. The second thing was Karen asked me to update you on, uh, update you on Graham, who's in Russia, and the war is going on, and there's constant anti-American propaganda. I was on the phone with him for this morning for about a half hour. He's doing great. His church is doing great. They're really discipling in the church. Uh, all churches need discipleship, but they're, they really changed. They made their sermon and their worship service shorter so that in small groups they can meet together and discuss the scriptures together. And he said it's working great. So the report from Russia is very good. Wherever Karen is, where's Karen? There you go. So uh, they're doing wonderfully in in spite of the overall situation. Okay, I want to take you back to uh, 1981, Fort Benning, Georgia. I was uh, that day in command of an infantry platoon. I had 25 lieutenants under my command. We were facing the Soviet and Warsaw Pact armies about 200 yards away about a hundred yards long of, of, our, of my troops under my command that day. I was acting uh, platoon commander. 
And uh, all of a sudden, we, have, we had uh, sensors on our uniforms that could tell if you were being shot at. We had real blanks, and uh, if you were being shot at, it would go bing, bing. And so we were hearing all along the line, well, some of us were hearing bing, bing, that we were being shot at by a nasty Soviet soldier or, or a battalion. I didn't know how many it was. Right about the time I was trying to figure out what to do, something grabbed me in my face like this. Whoo! <laughs> I was in a foxhole. All of a sudden, uh, water was jumping out of my eyes. You know what was coming out of my nose? Uh, saliva was flowing from my mouth. I went for my gas mask. I put it on. You're supposed to blow out to get all the gas out. I had no air to blow out, so I sucked in. <laughs> And more tear gas consumed my face. So, then we started firing back at the enemy. (laughs) You have a gas mask on. You put the rifle up to your eye like this. It's ridiculous. You're shooting like this. And uh, about that time, I looked to the left and to the right, and men were already crawling out of their foxholes, rolling on the ground, laughing. Because we were completely consumed (laughs) by tear gas. We couldn't do anything. I took off my mask. I was laughing. So as, uh, what to do in that situation? It was a little confusing. I had no idea what to do. So I ordered a general retreat. So we backed off about 10 yards. The captain came out and said, okay, the training session is over. Training session's over. Uh, what do we learn here? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Tear gas is very powerful. <laughs> That's what we learned. He said, no, how many, uh, how many soldiers were shooting at you? He said, I have no idea how many soldiers were shooting at us. He said, one. So I had just called for a general retreat of 25 well-armed men. We were armed to the teeth because of one guy shooting at us, not even hitting us, but shooting at us. So in case you don't know, that's not what you're supposed to do. Now, what does that story have to do with 2 Timothy? That's a good question. Uh, Well, 2 Timothy is meant to be standing orders for the church of God, the army of God. Now, standing order is what you do no matter what. The text I just read implies that. I'll, I'll, I'll go into that later. It's what you do no matter what, unconditionally, okay, no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, if I had had a... St- nobody told me we were just trained to run from Soviet tanks in Europe to be a speed bump in Europe until the uh, reserves could get there. That was my training. That's all I knew. So I didn't know what to do in this circumstance. Well, Paul is about to have his head cut off by a Roman sword, okay? And he wanted Timothy to know what to do in his absence and through Timothy what the whole church is to do in his absence. Now, Kathy and I were talking about this today. Paul talks about being a soldier twice in 2 Timothy. So the soldier analogy is good, but the, arching, the overarching uh, metaphor for Paul in First and 2 Timothy is the metaphor of a house, okay? Constructing a house. So if you saw the title, it's constructing a moral universe. And I'll get into why I say that right now. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have, I hoped... To come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if you I delay, 
you may know how one ought to behave in the house of God, oikos. The ESV says household, but it's actually just house of God, oikos, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress or bulwark of the truth. So Paul has already started in his first letter to Timothy talking about a house, okay, the house of God. And where does he get this overall uh, metaphor from? Well, he gets it from Isaiah chapter 2. Paul quotes, well, Isaiah is quoted more than any other prophet uh, in the New Testament. So Paul is following along with all the other apostles, quoting Isaiah. In verse 2 of Isaiah 2 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And then skipping a little bit, and all nations shall flow to it. All right? The house that Paul is envisioning from Isaiah is universal. It will encompass all nations. You following me? Right from Isaiah 2. And then verse 3, and, all, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. In Greek, the translation of the Old Testament, same exact word, oikos, that he may teach us his ways. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This means this will come about through the law and the word. Well, what will come about is in verse 4. He shall judge many nations, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What he's getting at here is a complete transformation of all the cultures of the world from being warlike, hating one another and killing one another to what are uh, pruning hooks and whatever the other in- instrument was, I can't remember. <laughs> uh, plowshares, okay, yeah. Plowshares and pruning hooks, what is that? That's peaceful uh, prosperity, right? And so the Bible, Paul is simply telling uh, Timothy what to do when you're in the trenches, okay? The bird's eye view... Or now we have the, uh, what flies overhead now? Drone. The drone eye view is Isaiah 2, right? You can see the big picture. We all need to understand what God is doing right now everywhere on the face of the earth is Isaiah 2. But what does it look like when you get tear gas in your face? Well, you know, temporarily it doesn't look like anything. You can't tell what's going on. If if you doubt me, we can do a little experiment, okay? (laughs) See how you like it, all right? (laughs) But when when it's confusing on the ground level is what Paul wants Timothy to understand. These are your standing orders. This is your blueprint. You follow the blueprint no matter what, Timothy. And what I'm going to go into today is vital because if you're on... uh, YouTube or in the news, uh, and Paul named people, so I'll name him, Charles Stanley's uh, son, uh, Andy Stanley, uh, just had a conference with, uh, his church movement has 40,000 people in it in Georgia, where it was called uh, Unconditional. And he's basically uh, asserting in evangelical circles that same-sex marriages are okay, Right? 
And I even heard him, I talked to Graham today, Graham even knew about this. And Al Mohler, the head of the, uh, one of the leaders of the Southern Baptists, is publicly calling him out on this. Uh, and later on, I'll even say something that's even more fundamentally uh, off base. So in our day and time, there is confusion upon confusion upon confusion about what the church is to be. And uh, last week I talked about mission and missional drift. Today is the message. Next week is the method of God's work through his people. Okay? We're doing three M's. Mission, message, method. Today I want to make ten observations or ten, uh, acknowledge ten standing orders for you and I no matter what. And uh, Revelation, I believe it's chapter 3. Three talks about being a pillar. If we conquer, we will be a pillar in the house of our God. So what God wants us to do is we take the truth that we learn today and we take it home and we become a pillar in our own home, okay? So we are learning what God is teaching Timothy is ultimately for everyone because all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So 2 Timothy, in some way, is for you and I. It's for everybody. It's not just for a pastor named Timothy in the year 65 A.D., right? And there's some analogy for all of us, what we're supposed to do. All right, 10 standing orders, and I'll only take an hour on each one. <laughs> so we have plenty of time because the sun doesn't go down, you know, for quite a while. So I, y'all laughed last week, you laughed this week. That's a good, you're a good, good crowd. <laughs> First Timothy three fourteen, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the buttress of the pillar and buttress of the truth. Number one, Timothy must remember what holds up the house is the truth. Okay? Are you hearing me? What holds up the house of God is the truth. That's already shocking. (laughs) I'm very entertained by this. (laughs) As long as the church is the embodiment of the truth, the house stands. When you and I give up on the truth, the house collapses. Do you hear me? (laughs) I hope you hear me, because if you can't, you have a problem. (laughs) All right? So, the church is to be the embodiment of the truth. We give up on the truth, and who knows what we are, but the God of the universe would certainly question whether or not we were still the church. I was just preaching in New Hampshire, and on the way there, I saw uh, hanging on a church a uh, gay pride flag. hanging on. I think it was a Presbyterian church. I was driving fast. I don't know. Being proud about about things that the Bible condemns. (laughs) Is that the church? (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, anyway. Revelation says the church can be a synagogue of whom? Satan. Satan. Yeah, you 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 can call yourself a church and actually be a synagogue of Satan. Number two, the truth of the church is straight from God. It's absolute truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is... Theo in Aggie talk, 
pneustos, pneu. <laughs> no one knows how to, if you sound the, the P before the N or not. In A&M, we always say the P before the N, pneustos. <laughs> pneumonia, right? Pneumonia. The word spirit is pneuma, pneuma. So the word breath and spirit are very, very similar in Greek. All scripture, the new uh, ESV says, the new translation says, is God breathed. It's the breath of God, the wind of God, straight from God. The scripture is not inspirational. Do you hear me? It's not a book of poems that just make us feel better. It is a revelation of the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Do you hear me? Are you paying attention? (laughs) I don't know. Some of you are like, (laughs) it is not inspirational, it is inspired. If you and I lose this, we lose everything. It's not inspirational. It's not meant just to only make us feel better. It's meant to rule our lives and rule the earth. Okay? If you compromise on this, you compromise on everything. If you and I do. Number three, the absolute truth of the church is to be given with the imminent return of Christ blazing before our eyes and in God's presence. Paul wrote to, Second Tim- Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. When we preach, the preacher is to get out of the way. You see, God is speaking. That's the Reformed way of preaching. That's the Reformed understanding. It's the biblical way of understanding. The church fathers believe the same thing. It's nothing, nothing new. So I, I train preachers in Russia. I t- train them to get out of the way. Now, our own personality obviously comes through. God wants to filter it or enhance it or I don't know what you want to call it. But, <laughs> you know, it is our own personalities are in the preaching. But it is God who wants to speak to you and me. You see, that's what's happening. It's a portal into heaven, and the God of the universe is speaking. And so when a guy or uh, when a man is preparing his sermon, he is to do it knowing that God is going to judge every word, and therefore he is to get out of the way and just let God do his job. Okay? You understand? (laughs) If we really get into the Scriptures and the Scriptures control us, then God is speaking through the preacher. Right? That's that's ideally how it's supposed to be. And so that's my prayer. I always pray that I would get out of the way and let God speak. And I try to train the men throughout Russia. And praise the Lord, I got a text this morning. We just studied hope from Ephesians, uh, from uh, Romans 5 this week in seminary online. And the preacher in Russia just wrote back, I just preached Romans 5, Blake. It was such a great lesson you taught us. And I just preached it in my church. And my wife and my mother liked it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> huh? Yeah, yeah, the true test if your wife and your mother like it. It almost never happens with me, I hate to tell you. Almost never. 
<laughs> and Tim Keller told, he said, my wife has complimented me one time on a sermon. That's what Tim Keller said. <laughs> she always had a few negative things to say. All right, number four. Timothy was not to share the word, but to what? He wasn't to share the word. He was to what? Preach the word. Caruso, like Robinson Caruso, not, not spelled the same. It's the first time that the word preach in Scripture is used is Genesis 41, 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. I got my Aggie ring. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out, they called out, they carousoed. So 20 men in front of Pharaoh's chariot, and then behind Pharaoh was, was Joseph. 20 young men, I'm just guessing, 20 young men were calling out, bow the knee. Thus he sent, set him over the land of Egypt. It's very interesting. This is a profound place. First time. Whenever a word is used the first time in Scripture, that's the main trajectory of it. Okay? And so preaching is a royal proclamation of uh, announcing a, a kingdom or a new authority or the, the authority in general. It's a royal proclamation. And if you and I are on a busy street in Egypt, uh, you know, it's probably gravel or something, and people are everywhere, and we want everybody to know that Joseph is number two in the kingdom now, and we're yelling out, bow the knee. Can you do that quietly? No, you can't. <laughs> so Kathy and I argue about this. My dad hated me raising my voice when I preached. I preached at his church in uh, First Presbyterian, Wichita Falls. Why do you have to be so loud? <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, well, I don't know how you can Caruso, how you can proclaim a royal revelation of, of the, the sovereign's will. It, it, Caruso means to a loud public proclamation. Now, to do this according to the God of the universe because of our sin nature, it takes courage. And so that's Paul's main concern about Timothy. For this reason, I remind you, 1 Timothy 1.6, for this reason, I remind you to fan, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us uh, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. But the literal Berean translation reads, for God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but power and love. And self-control. Paul was concerned that Timothy was becoming cowardly. Okay? So the problem with many denominations today is when you're getting ordained, they don't ask you, have you ever had to preach or, you know, communicate Christ against great opposition where you might be physically or at least morally and verbally assaulted because of your preaching? Because you can't preach Christ if you're a coward. It always opposes, there's something, it always makes somebody mad, right? The gospel, the true, the complete gospel always irritates somebody, right? 
And so that's Paul's main concern with Timothy, is that he was becoming, it, the other translation is timid. Timothy was becoming timid. It requires real courage to preach the whole gospel of God. Number five, the royal proclamation of preaching is to be done urgently in season and out of season. And I'll tell you just a real quick uh, story along these lines. Uh, It's almost always in season for God, but out of season for man. So just a year ago, Kathy and I were in St. Petersburg, and we had a women's festival, and I had the men separate. We were playing soccer, and then I wanted to continue to teach on uh, what the Bible teaches about unjust war. So we got under the bleachers. A little, it was raining a little bit, so I got under there, and I, I, uh, I, shared, I shared with them. <laughs> I preached. Uh, I preached Proverbs 6, which says, God considers six or seven things an abomination, and one of them is the shedding of innocent blood. Now, in Russia, that's very controversial. Here we have our own controversies. In Russia, that's controversial. And as I preached that for 10 minutes, one of the pastors was playing with his phone. And, you know, I'm a spellbinding preacher. You don't play with your phone when I'm preaching, right? You just don't do it. (laughs) Hope nobody's playing with their phone. Uh-oh, I see, I see a few people. Okay. <laughs> well, you're too far away. I can't get to you. Uh, so, so on the way home, we're walking home in the rain, and I said, hey, uh, his name was Andrei Skraben. I said, hey, Andrei Skraben, why were you playing with your phone? I was preaching. He said, well, my son-in-law, I think I already shared this with you, but my son-in-law is about to be drafted in the Russian army, and I was texting him that he can't go, or at least he can't go and fight. I was texting him that Proverbs 16 says God hates the shedding of innocent blood. So I said, well, okay, if you're trying to save somebody from mortal sin, <laughs> you can play with your phone, okay? There are some circumstances you can play with your phone. <laughs> That's one of them. So I, the next day was Sunday, and I said, hey, how did it go with your son? He said, well, I went, I went to the uh, recruiter, and I told him I wouldn't uh, kill innocent people. And, uh, you know, in Russia right now, you can be give, given five to ten year j- prison term for that, for not, from any man not willing to go kill people in Ukraine. So this was very dangerous. So he shared this unseasonable message with his recruiter, and the recruiter looked at him and said, Oh, we don't need people like you. Get out of here. <laughs> so it was in season to... Save this man's life and him is more his soul, but it was out of season in the culture. See, in season and out of season is mainly talking about the surrounding environment you're in. It's only everything's in season for God if you're preaching His will, right? It's always in season. It's just out of season for some people. That's all. Okay, so urgently in season, out of season. Number six, Timothy was to understand when the truth was not preached in season, out of season, that the people of God wander into myths. And in 2 Timothy 4, uh, 3, we read today uh, that people will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will, want, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
So it says, preach the word. If you don't preach the word, what happens? The people wander into mist. They accumulate, uh, they, they, they accumulate preachers to suit their own sin nature. This is what always happens. This is why the gospel that we're preaching always needs to be tied with what's going on in our culture. If you don't tie it to the culture, people wander into myths. And what are the myths today? You can go online and find them. Christ, I mean, uh, you, uh, I'm trying to say in, in the positive, so there's more than one way to God. That's very popular today, right? There's pressure on us not to believe that Christ is the only way. There's no, the number two is there's no difference between a man and a woman. They're all the same. You must be blind, but, you know, <laughs> there's no difference between a man and a woman. I guess women have beards now. I don't know. <laughs> At least, you know, big beards. Uh, and then number three is uh, God doesn't care who you love. Quote, love. Those are three giant myths. They're pressing on us at all times if you're paying attention. Now, you older people are like me. You know, nothing really affects you. But young people, if you're 40 and younger, you're being affected by those things. And if you're, you know, paying attention to the news and everything, you're, everybody's being affected by it. Those are three myths that are constantly pressing. And all. If this pulpit or any other church on the face of the earth is not constantly preaching in a way that's relevant to deal with the itching ears of your culture, then the church will always wander into myths. That's what Paul was afraid of. That's what Paul was afraid of. He was afraid that Timothy's message was... Why? Timothy didn't want to confront whatever it was there. It was paganism, but some of it would be very similar to this, of course. These three myths were similar to what Timothy had to deal with. Number seven, the content of the truth is the whole word of God. So he says, preach the word, okay? Kurizon ton logon. Kurizon ton logon. Preach the logos, he just said that all Scripture, all written Bible, is breathed out by God. And then he says, preach the Logos. And uh, one of the horrendous things that's happening now is Andy Stanley in evangelical circles is separating Christ, the Logos of God, from the written Scripture. Okay? That's the environment we're in. The, you know, we, we submit to Christ, but we don't submit to Scripture. But Paul said, preach the whole word of God. And so, uh, somehow, some way, everything from Genesis to Revelation is to be preached. Everything. And there's plenty in there to offend us all. We all have our own sins that we don't want confronted uh, and so forth. And I, I can even put it in this way. The whole word of God is to be royally proclaimed with all the authority urgently because of our sin nature and God's love for the world. We need the exhortation of the law of God, the example of the Son of God, the grace of the Holy Spirit, and the comfort of the promises of God, and the vision of the prophecies of God to keep us in the battle for the moral order of the universe. We need it all. God knows us. He created us. There's every nuanced aspect of Scripture in the whole Bible is what you and I need. 
Number eight, here is where we jump to chapter 2. And so 2.14 reads, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Guess what the word ruins is? You won't be able to guess. It's catastrophe. Catastrophe. It causes a catastrophe. When we preach the word of God improperly and quarrel about words, in other words, we, we try to downplay maybe something that's challenging us, it catastrophe, it, it, it's a catastrophe, it's a collapse. So in chapter 4, we have wandering. In chapter 2, we have a collapse of the hearers. This means that churches can participate in the people in those churches unable to hear, make them unable to hear the gospel. It can collapse your ability to understand it. And where it comes from is the account, this word is first used in Sodom and Gomorrah <laughs> when they were overthrown. And here, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where they had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward, and toward all the land of the valley and looked. And behold, the smoke of the land went up like a smoke of a furnace. What does the furnace remind us of? The furnace of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hell, wrath of God, total destruction. Verse 29, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. Sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. The same word for ruins the hearers. Okay? Catastrophis, a noun. When he overthrew, catastropsai, a verb, the cities which Lot lived. And why were they overthrown? Verse 9 in in, uh, Genesis 19 they said to Lot when he told them not to want to have sex with these angels, he said, these fellow, the, this fe- the, the people that Lot was preaching to said, this fellow came to sojourn, and now he's become a judge. So if you want the wrath of God upon you, judge the word of God. Okay? That's what, it, that's what Paul's getting at. If you want the wrath of God upon you, you come to church to judge the word, okay? And, and, and Paul says that will bring the wrath of God upon you. We come to church to what happened? What, what does God do when we come to church with us? Does he judge us or do we judge him? <laughs> Is that a hard question? You see? When we come to church throughout the world, throughout all the ages, we come for the God of the universe to judge us. And if your church, no matter where you go, reverses that order and you come to judge the word, then you, will, you are in a spiritual catastrophe. And you cannot uh, have a relationship with God. That's what Paul says. That's... Uh, that's just what Paul says. The answer to this is to do your best as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, which means the word of God judges your people. Now, my final point 
winding up is point 10. All of this is in accord with the gospel. If you read 1 Timothy 1, he has a long list, and it's all in accord with the gospel. Now, we know that the law is good if anyone uses it lawfully, understanding the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. If you and I do not allow God to define sin, how can we be saved from sin? If we think we have the right to define sin, we can't be saved from it. Thus, Paul was giving Timothy a blueprint for the moral order of the universe, which was to be based on the whole word of God preached. And if I had had a standing order or a moral blueprint, I would not have asked 24 men to retreat from one, (laughs) okay, in Fort Benning in 1981. (laughs) I would have known what I was supposed to do, right? So that's why God has given us the book of 2 Timothy in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.